Good morning, everyone. Hope you, all of you are having a good Easter break. Are you? Good, good. Okay. So let's, without much uh, delay, get into my preach, because time is very short. The boss doesn't give us much time these days, you see. Uh, not him. <laughs> so the subject of my preach today is evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Now, many of us here know that Christianity was born into a world in which its central claim, the resurrection of Christ, was known to be false. It was denied by all except those who believed in Jesus. Historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is very, very good. And the majority of scholars who have studied this subject in great detail are certain that the resurrection of Jesus has taken place. And a number of them who have done this study you know, previously being atheists, have become Christians through this study. Now, a telephone survey about resurrection commissioned by the BBC in February 2017 for Palm Sunday has the following results. 17% of all people believe the Bible version word for word. 31% of Christians believe word for word the Bible version, rising to 57% among active Christians and their classes, those who go to a religious service at least once a month. Exactly half of all people surveyed did not believe in the resurrection at all. 46% of people say they believe in some form of life after death, and 46% do not. 20% of non-religious people say they believe in some form of life after death. 9% of non-religious people believe in the resurrection, 1% of whom say they believe it literally. And I'm sure here at Woodside, we are much, much better than the 57% that we see in that survey. But if there is any doubt, if there is any uncertainty, today is the day to dispel it. You see, when I share the gospel with non-Christians, which I often do, I have plenty of opportunities to share you know, the gospel with, with people. I certainly encounter questions about the resurrection of Jesus, and I'm sure your experience is not any different. And so a clear understanding of the evidence for resurrection is always helpful. So what is the evidence for resurrection? And today I'm going to look at evidence in both the Old and the New Testaments. There are certainly extra biblical references to, to the resurrection, but that is beyond the scope of my preach today. I would not have time to do that. You see, the Bible is a very unique book, and it was written over a 1,500-year period by many authors, and it was done in such a way so that you know, it can be shown that the God of the Bible is unique and there is no one like him. Bible scholars tell us that there are nearly 300 references you know, to 61 specific prophecies about the Messiah, and these are all fulfilled by Jesus Christ. The odds against one person fulfilling that many prophecies is beyond all mathematical probability. It could never happen, no, no matter how much time was allotted, unless it was God himself. One mathematician's estimate of those impossible odds is one chance in 13 trillion, which is one in 10 raised to the power 156, which is one followed by 156 zeros. It's such a huge number. Jesus has to be true. There is no other way. 
And I'm quoting reliable sources like Peter Stoner. He was a professor of, he's a professor of mathematics and astronomy at the Pasadena University in, in the US. And Lee Strobel, you know, many of you know Lee Strobel. He was an investigative journalist and he was an atheist. He investigated case for Christ and ultimately became a Christian. And some of these prophecies included those about the resurrection of Jesus. So let's look at some of these uh, prophecies in the Old Testament. So there are a few. One is in Isaiah chapter 53. Now the book of Isaiah was written approximately 700 years before Christ. And uh, the ch chapter 53 describes graphically the suffering and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these two verses go like this. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. You know, referring to the Messiah's suffering and death, following which he would come back to life and he would see the light of life. And then Psalms 22, this was written by David approximately a thousand years before Christ. And this is a psalm that poetically describes the piercing of the Messiah's hands and feet, that all his bones uh, could be counted and that people would cast lots for his clothing, all of which were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, after his suffering and, and death, this is what is going to happen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. So the Messiah is going to sing the praises of God in the assembly of his people. The next one is in, from Psalm 16, again written by David thousand years before Jesus. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Very clearly talking about the Messiah, you know, will rise up. He will not remain dead. You know, he will not see decay. He will be at the right hand of the Father for eternity. Very clear, very clear. Hosea chapter 6, written again approximately 700 years before Christ. After two days he will revive us, on the third day he will restore us, that we may live in his presence, describing that the Messiah would rise up again you know, on the third day. You see, the, the Old Testament clearly predicts the resurrection of Jesus, but these prophecies had to be carefully packaged in the Old Testament so as to avoid detection by Satan. Because God had a rescue plan for mankind, and this had to be hidden until everything was revealed. And Apostle Paul, talking about this in Ephesians chapter C, describes this as a mystery. The manifold wisdom of God that was hidden in God for ages, that is now disclosed through the church, through you and me, to everyone. Hallelujah. So that is the Old Testament. What is the evidence for resurrection in the New Testament? So let's look at some of the prophecies made by Jesus himself about his death and resurrection while he was, you know, while he was uh, before his death and resurrection. 
And I can reel off verse after verse. There are so many, but a few of them are like this. Matthew 12. This is after the Pharisees have been pestering Jesus for a little while, asking for a miraculous sign from heaven. Jesus said, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Three days in the heart of the earth and then out. Matthew 16. This was after Peter's famous confession of Christ. You know, Jesus said, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And then he will be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Very clear, very clear. Matthew 17, after the transfiguration, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Again in Matthew 20, Jesus was now going back to Jerusalem and he knew what was going to happen in the, you know, in the coming days. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Exactly, you know, describing what would happen to him in the days to come. And then Matthew 26, you know, this is after he uh, prophesied Peter's denial three times. He said, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And then in John 2, he says, you know, tells the Pharisees, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days, speaking about his body that would come back to life. And then he says, I have the authority over my life. He tells the Jews, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. You see, these verses are crystal clear. There is no other way it can be interpreted, can it? No. And this is the style of our God. This is his style, okay? He proclaims everything in advance. And then when the real thing happens, you know, we know that it was God who was in action. It was God who was really saying all these things. It was God in action. But did the disciples believe all these things? No, they didn't. They only knew about the one coming of the Messiah, and uh, uh, they were pretty certain that on this occasion, Jesus would be ushering in, ushering in the kingdom of God. And they were jockeying for position. They thought, you know, I need to get the best seat in the house when the kingdom of God comes. And they couldn't understand anything else. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, they felt that the whole project or mission, you know, had, was finished, had come to an end. And the hope of Jesus ushering in a new kingdom was destroyed. And we find Peter went back to fishing, and with him went several of the other disciples as well. So carrying on with the evidence in the New Testament, let us look at some of the events after the death and burial of Jesus. On day one, after the death of Jesus, we find Joseph of Arimathea. He was one of the uh, members of the Jewish ruling council. He went to Pilate, asked for permission to get Jesus' body and to bury the body. 
and uh, Pilate gave permission. So he, together with Nicodemus, who is also another member of the Jewish ruling council, they went, got the body, and wrapped the body in linen and applied spices, okay? Uh, aloes and myrrh and all of those things. And they put, laid the body of Jesus in a freshly cut tomb in rock, in a garden which was close to where Jesus was crucified. And they went back. And on the second day, the Jewish leaders, you know, knowing that Jesus had already prophesied that he would rise again on the third day, wanted to make sure that the body remained in the tomb. So they went to Pilate and asked for permission to seal the tomb and to post a guard. And to which Pilate agreed. And they did that. And on the third day, an astonishing thing happened. There were these ladies, okay? And uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joanna and the others with, with them. They went early in the morning to the tomb with spices and perfumes that they had prepared. And their aim was to, uh, was to apply these on the dead body. And this was tradition. And this was also their way of showing respect to their loved one. And what, what, what were they expecting to see at the tomb? A dead body. But what did they find? An empty tomb. They ran back to the disciples and told them that Jesus' body had disappeared. The tomb was empty. But Mary stayed back. Mary Magdalene stayed back and met the risen Lord Jesus there. When Jesus called out Mary, she clung to him. She recognized him. She clung to him. And Jesus told her, go and tell the disciples that I have risen. And she went and announced, I have seen the Lord. So Jesus you know, the risen Lord Jesus was first seen by the ladies. And then, what about the disciples? They were scared and in hiding because of the Jewish authorities. And when the ladies came and reported this to the disciples, they thought it was nonsense. But Peter and John ran to the tomb, and they were also expecting to find a dead body. But what did they find? They only found an empty tomb and some burial clothes. And it is written that they believed, but did not understand what was happening. What about the Jewish leaders? As I mentioned before, they had taken all precautions to make sure that Jesus' dead body remained in the tomb. But what was to happen was clearly beyond their control or wildest imagination. When the guards came and reported that the body had disappeared and the tomb was empty, they bribed the guards and, you know, in order to keep their mouth shut about the truth, but to spread the lie that Jesus' disciples had come in the middle of the night and stolen the body. You know, this was something that was impossible for the disciples to do. First of all, they were scared. They were in hiding. Secondly, they would never have been able to overcome the Roman guards. The empty tomb was a problem for the Jewish leaders, Otherwise, they could have paraded the body of Jesus through the city and Christianity would never have taken off. Thomas, you know, whom, who said this famous, you know, uh, 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 made this famous statement. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. As far as Thomas was concerned, Jesus was dead and he expected him to remain dead. But Jesus, uh, Thomas needed a special encounter from Jesus. So Jesus came, met Thomas, and Thomas, and called out to Thomas, Thomas, come here. See my hands. Take your finger, put it into 
my hands, put it into my wounds. Take your hand, put it into my side. Believe and do not doubt. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, look, you see and you believe. But blessed are those who believe without seeing. Hallelujah. What about Jesus? Jesus, he had a glorified body. He could pop up anywhere. You know, he could pop up anywhere. He could come, come through closed doors. And he appeared time and time again to his disciples and many others and explained everything. And uh, just to give one example, there, there were this couple of disciples walking on the road to Emmaus and they were distraught. They were disheartened because of the crucifixion and all that had happened. And Jesus, you know, walking along with them, explains to them how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He broke bread and ate with his disciples. He showed them his hands and feet. He asked them to be his witnesses. And finally, he commissioned them to preach the good news, you know, starting in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the world. He also appeared to some who were not his followers, like James, his half-brother, and Paul. Paul was his enemy, and they too became his witnesses. Apostle Paul, later on writing about this in 1 Corinthians 15, this was like a creed in those days in the first century church. He, he writes like this, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. All these people are witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. More than 500 people, you know, saw the resurrected Lord Jesus. What was the end result of all this? On the day of Pentecost, Apostle Peter, an uneducated fisherman, stands up before a crowd and speaks. He quotes scripture after scripture that refer to Jesus in the Old Testament and boldly proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 3,000 people believe and are baptized and are added to the church. There are at least 11 passages in the book of Acts that record that the early church proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus. The disciples and all the Christians find a new boldness and wisdom which they had not known before. Amazing and astonishing miracles take place. When Peter and John are arrested and brought before the Jewish leaders, they stand up and proclaim boldly, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And, and the Jewish leaders, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, interestingly, the empty tomb was never venerated as a shrine for at least the first three centuries. In those days, there was this 
pattern of if there was a saint who had died, a famous man, you know, they would build a shrine over his tomb and they would go and, and, and worship there. But nobody, you know, made a shrine over the tomb of Jesus. Nobody went searching for the living among the dead. Jesus was amongst them. Jesus was with them. The fact that Jesus died and rose again from death was a reality. They were eyewitnesses of this truth. And for this, the disciples and the early Christians were willing to die. Having seen Jesus conquer death, they no longer feared death as they had done in the Garden of Gethsemane. If the disciples had stolen the body of Jesus, they would not have been willing to die for a lie, would they? They would not have received this newfound boldness or confidence. As the saying goes, liars make poor martyrs. They realized and knew for sure that if they died, they would rise up from the dead like Jesus. In fact, almost all the apostles except for John became martyrs, and so did a number of the first century Christians. One might argue that people are willing to die for a religious cause, but there was no religious cause here. They were losing their existing religion. They were losing their family and all that was of benefit to them to unite with Christ and to die for him. Nobody would ever give up their lives for what they know is wrong. The Apostle Paul, he had a very noble pedigree, a very impeccable pedigree. You know, he describes all, you know, these things in, 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 in his letters. He was a student of Rabban Gamaliel, one of the most influential teachers of oral Torah in history. And he, writing about this, he says, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. So, my friends, it is for this reason that most of the scholars believe that the resurrection of Jesus was real because it had radically transformed the disciples and the first century Christians. As a result of all this, the Gospels spread like wildfire through the Middle East and into Europe. And Doubting Thomas, Doubting Thomas brought the Gospel to my land, Kerala, in India. Hallelujah. Not only this, you know, you know, there have been people bringing out lots of allegations and hypotheses and theories against resur resurrection. People saying the resurrection didn't, didn't take place. And some of the allegations are like this. Number one, the apostles were hallucinating about the risen Lord Jesus. Well, it is possible for the apostles to hallucinate. After all, they lost out quite a bit. They were with Jesus for three and a half years and the dream was shattered. But what about the 500 people? Are we talking about mass hallucinations here? Never heard of anything like that. If they were hallucinating, would the tomb be empty? No. Moreover, why would people like James and Paul hallucinate? Paul did not fit the psychological picture of someone who would hallucinate the return of Jesus. He had no emotional attachment to Jesus and no hopes vested in him. On the contrary, he had everything to lose. So that's not possible. That theory is wrong. And the another allegation is 
they were confusing Jesus with someone else. Is that possible? These apostles had been with Jesus every day for three and a half years. They traveled together, ate together, had fun together, slept together, did everything together. Was it possible? Even if it was possible, why would the tomb be still empty? They can't answer the empty tomb. Finally, there is this hypothesis against resurrection, uh, against resurrection is the claim that Jesus never died on the cross. This is typically a Muslim response and a statement from the Quran. If Jesus didn't die, who was the one who was crucified? Who was the one who was buried? And why was his tomb empty? That's not possible, is it? So it doesn't make sense. If this was the case, would the disciples and the first century Christians have been transformed as they were? On the other hand, there is plenty of evidence for the death of Jesus on the cross. You see, the disciples preached Jesus' resurrection many times in the book of Acts. And their conviction that Jesus rose from the dead is the best explanation for the transformation from fearful followers in the Garden of Gethsemane to bold martyrs at the hands of Romans and others. They no longer feared death because Jesus had defeated death. Jesus' resurrection was their catalyst, their core message, their driving conviction, and their ultimate hope. And I can say that, uh, I mean, these, these guys were not looking to be entertained. They were, or, or served, but they were willing to serve in season and out of season. They were sold out to Jesus' lock, stock, and barrel. And I can confirm from my experience that there are plenty of opportunities to share the gospel. Wherever I go, I have the opportunity to share the gospel. Whether I'm in India or, whether, or I'm here. Whether I'm on a train, a plane, or a car, or a taxi, I have opportunities to share the gospel. And I'll give you two examples. Just two weeks ago, I was coming back from the airport on a taxi, and there was this Caribbean gentleman who was driving us back. And so I'm always interested in people and always open up. I don't, you know, like putting these gizmos into my ear and listening to music or podcasts. Not that that is wrong. Please don't misunderstand me. But I'm not in the habit of doing. I keep wanting to engage with people. And so I, you know, started chatting, opening up this conversation, and he told me that he's from uh, Antigua or some, somewhere, you know, I can't remember now. And I said, oh, we have a gentleman. We have an uncle and auntie, I said, from, from the Caribbean and lots of other people from, from the Caribbean in our church. So I'm just opening the door, just mentioning the church, just mentioning something for a conversation. And after a few pleasantries, he started asking about the church. He started asking about, you know, the resurrection of Jesus. He started asking about the communion. He started asking about creation. So for the next half an hour, it was all about Bible discussion. And it was great, you know. You just open the door, people ask questions, and you be ready to give an explanation for their questions. Give, be ready to give an explanation for the faith that you believe in, for what you have given your life to Jesus. The second occasion is, just again in this last couple of weeks, I, you know, I'm a physician, so I treat patients. So I have a clinic, and patients come, I'm a chest physician, they always tell me about cough and phlegm and wheeze and breathlessness. That's all I hear, you know, all the time. 
So I try and engage in something else just to you know, keep it lively. And uh, so I, you know, I do some small talks. So there was a Chinese you know, mother and daughter there. So I asked them, are there many Chinese in Bedford? I said, no, no, there are not many. I said, there are, there are one or two Chinese in our church. You know? I said, oh, which church did you go to? I said, Woodside Church. Oh, we would like to come. Um, I said, are you Christians? Uh, no, 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 we are Buddhists. I said, so I took out a slip of paper, write the address of Woodside Church. That's all. You're sowing a seed all the time. You're opening the door, and people ask questions. You don't have to force the gospel. You just open the door. You be ready in season and out of season. Be ready to serve, not to be served. Okay? And that's what, you know, that is the simplest way, you know, to share the gospel. So most of us here understand that Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification and that he is a living God and we have given our lives over to him. We experience him in our hearts on a daily basis. He's transforming our lives into something beautiful. He walks with us. He cares for us. He ministers to us. He lifts us up when we fall down. He carries us through, uh, carries us when we go through our painful circumstances. His love washes us every day, cleanses us every day, purifies us every day, refreshes us every day. We know our future is secure in him and that we will be found in him when he comes again. We expect our bodies to be resurrected one day and to receive the glorified bodies that Jesus himself received. So church, let us be bold and be witnesses of this risen Jesus like the first century Christians and take this good news of our Savior into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our schools, into our colleges, into our places of work, into this town, into our nation and beyond. Maybe there, is, there are people here who have never understood this truth before and maybe they have never made a commitment to Jesus before. We invite you, come. Come and meet this Jesus. Come and see his love. Come and see his grace. Come and see the new way he has opened for each one of us to come to God. We invite you to come. So at the end of the service, there'll be volunteers here ministering. And if you're interested, do come. And there'll be people willing to talk to you, pray with you, help you on your journey. And maybe there are some people here who are desperately longing for this boldness to witness the risen Lord Jesus. And if you are one of those, you are welcome to come and there'll be people praying with you. Let us stand up. Lord Jesus, you are an amazing, amazing God. You're an amazing God. We like your style, God. There is no one like you. There is no one like you in any of the religious texts that we know. You're unique. And your way is unique. And your love is unique. Your grace is unique. We thank you for your love. Because of which you came into this world. And because you loved us so dearly, you went to the cross. You allowed your body to be broken on the cross. You allowed your blood to be shed for us. You were buried, but on the third day you rose again. And Lord, over the last 2,000 years, you have been revealing yourself to countless people 
all over the world. And in these days, you have revealed yourself to us. You have given us the opportunity to be one with you, to call you father, to call you friend, to know you in our lives 24-7. Lord, we pray for, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Lord, I pray that you'll bless them, that you'll anoint them. And Father, we pray that your goodness and your glory will shine out of us, Lord. Shine out of us. Lord, I pray that every fear will go in the name of Jesus. Fear go in the name of Jesus. In the mighty and glorious and wonderful name of Jesus. Let boldness come in the name of Jesus. Let boldness come to witness you. To witness the risen Lord Jesus. Let boldness come. Lord, we pray that you'll cause your love and your grace to flow out of us. Like a river of living water. Lord, let it bring life. Lord, to many lives in this town. Let it bring life to many lives, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And Father, we pray that the light of your glory will shine in this town. And the darkness will go in the name of Jesus. Oh, Father, do an amazing thing, Lord. Bring your kingdom, Lord, into many lives. Lord, we pray that the light of your glory will shine brightly. Thank you once again. Amen.